Cambridge Muslim College, training the next generation of Muslim thinkers. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In this visit to Surah Zumar, we've been confronted by the absoluteness of the fact of God's unity. He is absolutely absolute, and we are even less than contingent. Small bags of DNA and half-digested meals, the rotting which is our fate, has already begun busily in our bellies. We contain our futures. Ramadan is a time which reminds us of this frailty and of the strength of the yearning by us puny humans to cling desperately to life. In the long term, we find it's a losing battle. We are doomed, living on death row. We struggle to beat the law of gravity, but one day we will lie down, never to stand up again in this world. In a strange way, this remembering of death brings us to life. It helps us to see things in proportion and to taste the savour of things here before we taste only the soil in our mouths. The certain thing, the yaqeen that is death, is the long sleep which wakes us up. We only work well in the office when there's a deadline, and life is the same. So our surah now turns to this great and grave subject. Allahu yatawafa al-anfusa hina mawtiha wal-lati lam tamut fi madamiha fayumsiku al-lati qada alayha al-mawta wa yursilu al-ukhra ila ajalim musamma God brings the souls to term when they die, and those that did not die in their slumber. He keeps hold of those whose death he has ordained, and sends the others back until an appointed term. Truly in this there are signs for a people who reflect. Imam Mu'aini tells us that this term ajal does not mean the end. Tawafa simply means his wafa, his faithfulness in bringing us to the close of our appointed span. In fact, very far from being the end, death is a movement min halin awda' ila halin arfa, from a lower to a higher state. Death, he tells us, is the highway to otherworldly bliss and the key to the meeting with God himself. He calls it our second birth. When we die, we resemble a chick emerging from an egg. Only from the egg's perspective is that the end. This idea of the Ajal Musamma, the appointed or named term, is another of the humbling consequences of Tawheed. The angel of death has us in his diary and there's no negotiation. His ink is indelible. Now we can panic about this, but remember our slogan, don't panic. The believer is in a state of complete and serene acceptance of the superior wisdom of his Lord. To be Muslim is to accept your fate and to embrace it, since it's God's will, necessarily wiser than our own. Sheikh Ibrahim Shuitema of South Africa has a nice book called The Millennium Discourses. It contains a very useful meditation on annihilation and death. He reminds us how many millions of people have gone before us and how few of their names are even remembered. But again, don't panic. This is what he writes. Our desire to establish significance for ourselves is fundamentally flawed. It's not attainable. The blessing is that when you come to this insight, it is at first utterly depressing and then suddenly completely thrilling. The reason for this is that you are not here to be significant. 
You are not here to be affirmed. You are here to affirm. You are not here to be made important. You are here to grant importance. You are not here to be made significant. You are here to grant significance. You have not been made to be seen. You have been made to see. You are not here to stand out. You are here to stand in, to remove yourself far enough from the arena so that you can witness the one who is the only noteworthy, the one who is outwardly manifest, Allah. Those are Shri Temba's words, and we see how much peace there is in the remembrance of death. In an earlier broadcast, we spoke of the monotheist's refusal to be traumatised by the injustices of dunya. Musa, alayhi salam, does not suffer from clinical depression as a result of Pharaoh's brutal and arbitrary rule. He's at peace within. He knows that all injustices will one day be ironed out and all tyrants called to account. His calm and reasoned speech to the king is so different to the frantic emotional khutbahs of today or our fierce invective against the despots of our own time. Why? Because he believes in tawheed. He does not panic. And this is underlined in our surah. قُلِ اللَّهُمَّ فَاطِرَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ عَالِمِ الْغَيْبِ وَالشَّهَادَةِ أنت تحكم بين عبادك فيما كانوا فيه يختلفون. Say, O Lord God, maker of heavens and the earth, knower of the unseen and what is seen, you will judge between your slaves regarding that in which they used to differ. ولو أن للذين ظلموا ما في الأرض جميعا ومثله معه لفتدوا به من سوء العذاب يوم القيامة وبدالهم من الله ما لم يكونوا يحتسبون. If the tyrants possessed all the world's assets, and also the like thereof, they would try to ransom themselves with them from the intense affliction of the day of arising. Allah will show them something which they had not reckoned with. So this verse is about economic psychology. Fir'aun and Qarun and the oligarchs and mega-rich of today and so many Muslim petro-sultans think that they can deflect any crisis by paying people off. But the final crisis, the Yawm al-Qiyamah, will find them empty-handed, penniless. Only their human worth denotes their worth. Their bank balances at Marat Fonseca have been reset to zero, and God cannot be bribed. What comes next? This does. وَإِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ شْمَأَزَّتْ قُلُوبُ الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْآخِرَةِ وَإِذَا ذُكِرَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ دُونِهِ إِذَا هُمْ يَسْتَبَشِرُونَ And when Allah alone is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the other world shrink and are repelled. And when those who are other than him are mentioned, behold, they are cheerful. This verse also strikes home. The prospect of Allah and his judgment is the least popular subject for the mega-rich, the fashionable, the powerful. They would rather associate with some useful, useless celebrity like petro-sultans at a society marriage. I've myself been to such events. Such people are embarrassed by the alim who performs the ceremony, but smile and rush to embrace the rock star who's been invited to perform at the reception. Notice also how in this verse the contrast is again between the one and the many. 
The insincere man with the rotten heart averts his thought from the one, sneers at God's faithful lovers and rejoices his eyes in the celebrities of the moment, actors, politicians, singers, business moguls. This too is a kind of hidden idolatry. We are to cling to the one. The many will always let us down. فَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانَ طُرٌّ دَعَانَا ثُمَّ إِذَا خَوَّلْنَاهُ نِعْمَةً مِنَّا قَالَ إِنَّمَا أُوْتِيتُهُ عَلَىٰ عِلْمٍ بَلْ هِيَ فِتْنَةٌ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ When man suffers some hardship, he calls out to us. But then when we favour him with our blessing, he says... All this has been given to me because of my knowledge. It's only a test, but most of them do not know. In this verse, we get more psychology. When we suffer, we're more likely to make dua, to pray for relief. In hardship, we remember our vulnerability and the power of the one. But as soon as the hard times are over, we claim credit for the good things in our life. Our knowledge and intelligence, our general smartness have netted them for us. That's one interpretation which the commentators give of the uti tuhu ala ilm, given it because of my knowledge. But Imam Mu'aini offers another sense. The believer in the many claims credit for the good things in his life because he claims to know that Allah approves of him. In other words, he surveys his treasures and assumes that God has given them to him because of his own merit. But this is a fitna, a test, a temptation. Or as Imam Mu'aini says, imtihan wa baliya wa stidraj, a trial, a tribulation, and a leading downwards. All this psychologizing cuts us deeply. In discomfort, we realize that this is exactly how we are. Believing in the many, we claim credit for our credit balance. It all seems rather desperate, but all that's needed is for us to wake up from our sleepy indulgence and from the lies which we tell to ourselves. And when we're awake again and rub our eyes, we learn that to turn away from the many to the one is to invite a torrent of cleansing mercy. For this is what he says next. قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الظُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Say, O my servants who went to excess against themselves, despair not of God's mercy. Truly he forgives all sins. Truly he is the forgiving, the merciful. This is surely one of the widest and most absolute statements about Allah's forgiveness in the entire Qur'an. Even those who ran panting after the many, bringing a deep imbalance to their souls, are still invited generously and beautifully to the mercy of the One. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الظُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا He forgives all sins. Such astounding, uplifting, healing news. And indeed, history and the modern reality around us today are filled with moving stories of people who plunged into the dark depths of their own egos, but were then rescued, their hearts cleansed by the living waters of repentance, to discover the ubiquity of grace. There is no sin or crime, no matter how ugly, which he cannot erase if we are given the gift of repentance and turn from the many to the one, from the periphery to the centre, from illusion to reality. Again, this is one of the great gifts of religion. Repentance and the joyous knowledge that he wipes the slate clean 
heals the heart a thousand times better than any secular therapy could ever do. The Sura has told its tale and is wending its way towards its close. It turns out that this will be magnificent, grandiose and awe-inspiring. Some of the most superb passages of the Qur'an bring it to a close. And these snow-capped mountains will dominate the landscape we're going to be moving through in our next and final podcast. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.